Well, good morning, good morning. I'm so glad that you're here today as we uh, again prepare for the celebration of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Over the last several weeks, we've been taking a journey. And the journey we took and have been on is is, uh, matching in the scriptures from the Gospel of Luke and Jesus' journey leaving Galilee and heading to Jerusalem where we know ultimately what he faces. And it's interesting, as we've made the journey through, we've come to the last week of Jesus' life and the last week of his journey to Jerusalem. And in chapter 23, we're going to be looking today at chapters 22 and 23, but in 23 I find an interesting passage beginning in verse 3. And it says in Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, It is as you say. So in other words, Jesus affirms he is the king of the Jews. And Pilate said to the chief priests and to the multitudes, I find no fault in this man. But they kept on insisting, saying he stirs up people, teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee... And even as far as this place, which is Jerusalem. And so there we see the journey. We see that Jesus began in Galilee, that he teaches all over. He stirs up the people, starting in Galilee and even to this place, which is Jerusalem. And so there's the journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. And so as we look at this last days of Jesus' life, This morning, I have a message I want to share with you from the upper room to the borrowed tomb. From the upper room to the borrowed tomb. We want to look at that journey from from the upper room to to Jesus' death and burial in a borrowed tomb. And there are three things specifically that I want us to see today. And the first one is this, the upper room. Uh, The preparation of... Of the upper room. I don't know if you've ever really thought about the process that was taking place, understanding that Jesus fully knew what was lying before him, what was about to take place. And so he sends two of his disciples, his apostles, ahead to prepare for the feast in the upper room. Now, I think it's very interesting that we understand that at this moment, There was one man, two apostles, and Jesus. They were the only people who knew where this this last supper was going to take place. I believe that there's a reason for that. And the reason is this. He knew the plot, and he knew the players who was involved. And had all of the apostles known where this upper room was, it's very possible that one of them, we know who, might have arranged some type of of overtaking or some type of encounter or confrontation at the upper room as part of the plot, as part of the plan. But Jesus didn't allow that to happen. You see, the Pharisees were not in control. The Romans weren't in control. Satan was not in control. Jesus was in control. And because he was in control, he said, you go, and there'll be a man. 
And when you encounter this man, he will lead you to the place. You see, he was revealing only what needed to be revealed. They were to go and find the place. They were to go and find a suitable lamb for sacrifice. They had to take it to the temple in order for it to be slaughtered properly for the sacrifice. Then brought to the upper room where the other things, remember this is a Passover feast. And so the Passover feast involved wine. It involved the mixture, the paste of the bitter herbs. It involved the unleavened bread. And it involved the sacrifice of the lamb that was to be roasted for the Passover meal. And so when we look at all of these things, all of this preparation that Jesus put into, all of the aspects and the understanding of the secrecy of the spot that they would meet, and everything that needed to be prepared in order to celebrate the Passover feast. Understanding that Jesus was fully in control of everything that was taking place. In the midst of the meal, we know that the scripture tells us that Jesus got up and he girded himself about with a towel and he began to wash the feet of the apostles. This was a demonstration and an act of humility that we know they did not understand. We know that there was a discussion that took place even at the moment of, well, don't wash my, you're never going to wash my feet. You're never going to wash my feet. They did not understand the, the act and the, the message that was being communicated. Oh, well, in that case, not just my feet, but wash everything. They didn't understand. And yet Jesus was trying to teach them a lesson of humility that they just seemed that they could not comprehend the lesson. The upper room the Lord's Supper, after they had shared in the Passover feast, Jesus took one of the four cups of wine that would have been a part of the process of the feast. And he talked about his blood. And he took a piece, a loaf of an unleavened bread, and he tore from it a piece. And he talked about his body. And he gave for us a memorial service to help us to remember. He said, do this as oft as you do this. Do this in remembrance of me. These were very common emblems. They were very common things that would have been very uh, uh, familiar to everyone in that day and time. And he took those common things... To communicate a powerful message, a memorial that would stand for the test of time and throughout history, common that every person could come in contact with these things and use them to remember the sacrifice of Jesus, that upper room. There are so many things for us to learn from the upper room. Lessons for us to understand of Jesus being in control. Lessons for us to understand about an act of humility and surrender of heart and life to those who needed the sacrifice. Lessons for us to learn about the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, about this communion memorial that we have. Lessons to help us to understand the sacrifice that Jesus made. From the upper room, we learn that Jesus treated everyone with the same love, with the same respect. Even Judas, who he already knew, was the betrayer. Even Judas, that he said as he sat at the table and, 
and said, reclined at the table and, and said that one of you would betray me. And they began to ask the question, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? And Jesus said, the one who dips in the cup with me, dipping in those bitter herbs, he said, that's the one who will betray me. He knew he was a betrayer, but yet he still welcomed him to the feast. Yet he still washed his feet. Yet he still expressed to him his love and compassion and understanding. Why? Because God's love and God's grace and God's mercy is for everyone. And the upper room teaches us so many lessons about God's love, about God's grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and the fact that John 3.16 really is true. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, doesn't matter who it is, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. From the upper room he moves to the lonely garden. We know that the scripture defines for us uh, in chapter 22, verses 39, starting in verse 39 through 53. He talks about the transition that takes place. And they move to the garden and and, uh, about eight of the apostles were left behind. Others were brought to a place and left there. And then Jesus removed himself, the scripture says, about a stone's throw away. And when he went there, he went to be with the Father. He went to pray and commune with the Father and spend time, why? To gain the strength, to gain the understanding Uh, to gain everything that he needed to go through the days that were ahead of him, the events that were about to unfold before him. Everything that was taking place in the life of Jesus, he was preparing for that in his, his communion with the Father, his prayer time with the Father. The Scripture says that his prayer became with such agony and an overwhelming burden that his sweat became as great drops of blood. And that he was communing with the Father. He was communicating with the Father. He was preparing his heart and his mind for the journey that was ahead of him over the next few hours. And Jesus there praying returns to the apostles. And twice the instruction he gives. He says, pray that you might not enter into temptation. Why? Why that instruction? Why that moment at that time? Because he knew what was ahead. He knew what was about to take place. He he knew the, the events that were about to unfold and that they would be tempted to do what? To to do all kinds of things. We know that later Peter denied who that he even knew who Jesus was. We know that they they scattered as his followers and, and went back to their homes in different places. And, and he was afraid that they would be tempted to give up their faith. To give up their belief and their trust in him and who he was. And, and that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. And so he gives them the instruction there in the garden, pray so that you might not enter in into temptation. He gives us that same instruction today. And every day we're tempted in this world And he says the thing that that can help you to face temptation and and to deny it is prayer. Uh, An effective and and consistent and committed prayer life. And then we know in that garden, that very garden where he communed with the Father, where he instructed his disciples and his followers, he was betrayed. He was betrayed with a kiss. Understand this betrayal is not about money. It's not about 30 pieces of silver. 
This betrayal is about a spirit that yielded to Satan rather than to the Lord. This betrayal is about one who gave his heart to follow after that which was popular in the day. That which they had cried out and and they had said, listen, we want Barabbas, not Jesus. That spirit is the same spirit that's in the heart of Judas as he betrays Jesus in the garden. It's not about money. It's about a spirit yielding to the power of Satan and, and popularity and him taking control of his life. Third thing is this, the borrowed tomb. Beginning in chapter 23 and verse 26, we see the encounter that Jesus went through, the false trials. We see the encounter that that Peter, as I mentioned a moment ago, when he is confronted with his being one of Jesus' followers, denies that he even knows and, and curses to say, I don't know who this man is. The denial, the lies. The lies and the false trials, the lie that Peter told that he didn't know. And through all of this, through everything, Jesus, always faithful to the truth. Jesus, always committed to the truth. Jesus never turned away from the truth. Even though others lied, even though others falsely accused and falsely testified, Jesus stayed faithful to the truth. As we read in 23 Five, as we started the message today, they said, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, what? It's just the truth. It is as you say it is. I am who you say that I am. I am the king of the Jews. That's who the Father sent me to be. Always faithful to the truth, even though he was surrounded by lies. Lies and lies and lies. And then we know After this, a brutal death on a cruel cross. Beaten beyond recognition. Bloody. Bruised. Depleted. They they force him to carry his own cross and his body is, is so mutilated and destroyed he does not have the energy or the strength. Human. That's the human side. He does not have the energy or the strength to carry his cross through the streets. Calls one into service to help him. They reach the point of crucifixion. They place Jesus. They stretch him out on the cross. They they nail his hands and his feet to the cross. And then they lift the cross in the sky, crucified between two criminals. Brutal. Horrible. Painful agonizing death and there jesus dies the scripture says that he surrendered his spirit to the father and he breathed his last and then one came joseph and asked if he might have the body of jesus and he takes him down from the cross and he takes that that brutally beaten and devastated body And places him in a borrowed tomb that no one had ever been in before. All the significance and the importance of all of these things that are unfolding. As Jesus ultimately dies for you and for me. 
Jesus dies this death and he's placed in a borrowed tomb. And he is dead. The scripture says he breathed his last. There's no question. There's no doubt. There's, there's no he was in a, a coma or he was passed out or, or any of these things. The scripture is clear. He breathed his last. And Jesus died. And in that death, He paid the price for your sins and for my sins. And He was placed in a garden tomb that was borrowed, that wasn't His own, that that had not been purchased by Him. And there He lay in a borrowed tomb. Well, that's the final event in the life of Jesus on this earth and that's where we're going to leave this message today is we're going to leave Jesus in the tomb in preparation to celebrate his resurrection next Lord's Day morning there was a powerful preacher S.M. Lockridge you've probably heard this before But I think at the end of this message, appropriately so, I wish I could do it justice. I can't. He was a great orator. There were multiple of his messages that people have repeated year and year and year gone by. I want to share with you this morning, S.M. Lockridge, on a Sunday, on a Good Friday, shared this message. It's entitled, It's Friday, But Sunday's Coming. It's Friday. Jesus is praying, Peter's sleeping, Judas is betraying, but Sunday is coming. It's Friday, Pilate's struggling, the council is conspiring, the crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday, the disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd, Mary's crying, Peter is denying, but they don't know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe Him in scarlet. They crown Him with thorns. But they don't know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary. His blood dripping. His body stumbling. And His spirits burdened. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday is coming. It's Friday, the world's winning, people are sinning, and evil's grinning. It's Friday, soldiers nail my Savior's hands to the cross. They nail my Savior's feet to the cross. And then they raise Him up next to criminals. It's Friday. But let me tell you something. Sunday is coming. It's Friday. The disciples are questioning what's happened to their king. The Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved. But they don't know. It's only Friday. Sunday is coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father, left alone and dying. Can nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday, the earth trembles, the sky grows dark, my king yields his spirit. It's Friday, hope is lost, death has won, sin has conquered, and Satan is just a laughing. It's Friday, 
Jesus is buried. A soldier stands guard. A rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It's only Friday. And Sunday is coming. Sunday is coming. We will celebrate together the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This morning, as we come together and look over that journey of Jesus from Galilee to Jerusalem, we have an opportunity that that we can make a decision in our heart and our life in regards to the Savior of the world and the sacrifice that He made. And so as we prepare for invitation hymn this morning, if there's a decision on your heart, if you need to surrender your life to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who sacrificed for you and for me, gave His life that we might be forgiven of our sins and that we might be accepted into the family of God. If there's a decision on your heart, won't you come this morning as we stand and as we sing?